Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Greetings and felicitations, children of technology. Welcome to episode 42 of Agitators Anonymous. And this one is a special guest episode. This is my good mate, JB from Grand Magus. Um, easily one of my very favorite straight down the line heavy metal bands of the last decade or two. And easily one of my favorite singers out there. JB has a very calm, laconic, measured interview style that goes along with his um, his singing style, his playing style, all of these things. And we get into all of that. Um, in fact, most of the interview is not about the normal things you usually hear me giving out about every week. In fact, it's about songwriting, singing, vocal techniques, um, all of these kind of things, about music, about heavy metal, all of those kind of stuff. So hang in there while I do the three ad reads and let's get down to some JB from Grand Magus. So www.metalblade.com If you're in North America, use the promo code AAPODCAST and you will get 10% off your order. www.hatecouture616.com H-A-T-E-C-O-U-T-U-R-E Use the promo code ALAN and you will get free shipping. Hateful yet tasteful apparel. Lots of nasty merchandise. Go and check it out. And www lotfp.com Lamentations of the Flame Princess if you're into RPGs, role-playing games, all that kind of stuff go and check them out and if you order three books you will get two of the author's choice sent to you you just need to use the promo code AAAA four A's and that'll do it um, if you wish to support the show, it's patreon.com, Alan Avril with two capital A's, where I post other podcasts, 
bonus songs unreleased this that and the other um go and check that out as well all right let's get into it right let's do it some heavy metal chat with another heavy metal singer in another heavy metal band is that enough heavy metal for you right jb from grand magus and so how have you been coping have you been trying to write songs or what have you like personally i found it i don't know a bit on sort of when people said to me oh look it'll inspire you to write more music and it hasn't because i sort of resent it because i'm not allowed to do anything and i don't sure. want to be just end up playing here and you know writing songs online that's not why i started a band so i sort of resent doing it i won't take part in an online show i'm just not doing it but I, the podcast is what i sort of put my energy into but you know people mm -hmm. are coping in different ways have you been writing so have you been writing songs or what no i i uh i'm exactly like you in that sense uh, i don't feel any inspiration to write music um and uh the band Grand Magus, we will never do any kind of live streaming shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, because like you said, that was not the reason <laughs> you started to play heavy metal in the first place. Uh, for me, the whole thing is about the interaction between the audience and, and the band. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I can really enjoy watching a DVD from a concert, you know, yeah. that's one thing. But watching people standing in their rehearsal room playing a show online, it's yeah. like, and you know, I don't criticize those who do it, but it's not for me. Then no. I'd rather just leave it alone until things. I feel like before, uh, I'm sure you feel the same way that there was this whole machine going on with with music and you were in that machine and that machine just kept on rolling and you were in it somehow. And now the machine just stopped. Yeah. And that gives you time. Number one, you get kind of thrown out from it because it doesn't exist anymore. And that affects your frame of mind as well. Yeah. And it gives you time to kind of reflect on other stuff, uh, you know, in life. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's very complicated i mean i've sort of gone through some of my friends think that i'm in some sort of state of mourning for this previous life that you had because you were so involved in it and you realize that yeah. your life you realize that your life was kind of extraordinary in a sense you know mm. traveling and playing and now yeah. it's very very ordinary and if you've been used to that the sort of you know what the the, the, the rush of stepping onto a stage and that kind of thing yeah. and the traveling and the adventure to have all of it removed. And it's not just the economic yeah. circumstance. People say to me, oh, you can make money online. And you're sort of saying, you know, that's um, that's besides the point. I tour for nothing, to be honest, you know. Um, and it is hard if you put in all of the years, and this is think, the kind of thing you've put all of your, I suppose, your self into to have it just removed yeah. to nothing. It's very, I found it very difficult to cope with um, just because I'm just not used to just being in Dublin for a year right. and of course then all the coping mechanisms aren't there and that you can't go out to the pub there's no there's no like, or anything like there's just nothing to do i'm just like running <laughs> up and down the canal every day trying not to go mad but it is it's very um it's a very difficult situation to cope with and especially the fact that you're not given any line on the horizon in the future to work towards where that's you're being told okay this is when 
you know, because we let's be honest, we what we are, we're going to be the last people out of the pen if yeah. we are, you know. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, but also, um, you've been doing this for longer than than I have, but it's been twenty years of touring, recording, touring, recording, and. For me, it's also been on my mind that it would be nice to just have a break, just take a break, because we do it like like you guys do it out of passion. Mm. Uh, And it's, um, I think that's something that you need to be a bit careful with so you don't end up just doing it without feeling it. 100% 100% you know and so for me this break was kind of not that bad <laughs> yeah uh, because it, it allowed me to 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 get a break without it being my decision if you know what I mean to, to step away from something mm. so I'm personally and luckily I'm not like chomping at the bit for this to end I just feel that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it until it's something comparable to what it was before. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Kieran from Primordial, he has a similar attitude to you in that over the last few years he talked about I, I want a summer off, of course. But of course, there's you know the income that everybody gets from the band subsidizes their normal jobs, which is the sort of like the the living on top of the surviving percentage you know um, yeah. for me if, he, if if we'd said okay we're all taking a year off i would have packed my bag and fucked off to south america or something like i can't just be stationary and that's what kills me is that i not only do i feel the rules of for example lockdown are uh i view them as an affront to civil liberty on some level of course there's a health crisis as well but most people are not observing i think the you know the complications this is going to have for our surveillance society civil liberty. so i worry about all of those other things because i guess i have the time to be driven insane by it so i feel kind of like a yoke has been placed um a structure upon you that you can't really escape and so i wouldn't have minded a break if it was on my own terms and i could go okay i'm unplugged out from social media gone but now i'm just more in front of the screen than ever and you know it's a we're all starting to look old and insane and you know it's driving me like sort of because i have no i've been trying to explain this to people as well i have no you've no outlet for your power your energy your that sort of emotional transaction but also that's a sort of elements of maleness and stuff that nobody really wants to talk about anymore uh yeah because we don't have sport but the gyms aren't open there's nothing there's no outlet for your energy at all um, so yeah, I've, I've, I understand kind of what you mean. Um, I guess I've always been a bit more relentless or reckless or sort of always put all of my energy into this thing. So to just be like, okay, now you're just going to sit around and read, read books for a year, maybe, but I would have wanted to fuck off somewhere, but you've been sort of coping reasonably well with it then. Yeah, I think so. Um, I have a job, so, um, mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and that's been good, you know, if, if I'd just been sitting around at home, I'd probably go mad, like Me. you're kind of implying that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, 
but so um, and I guess I've been focusing more on that than I normally would. Um, yeah. On the other hand, knowing that the band is there um, has been kind of like a like an emergency event or, or a, a something very nice to, to know that yeah well it's just a job you know uh, in a couple of months we'll we'll be on tour and with all the kind of um, what's it called um, the gratification and and the, the you know uh, getting all that from from the people who, who watch you uh, and that's something absolutely that I miss you know mm. uh, but that's also kind of a tall order, uh, considering how things are now. That's true. Um, and what I kind of think about uh, sometimes is that how lucky we were mm -hmm. to have experienced, you know, decades of this metal madness that we that we had. Yeah. And, and you know. Uh, having 400 people in a venue that takes 200 and the sweat and the drink and the madness and, and all the, you know, love really, mm. which to me now seems like, did that really happen? You know, yeah. if you, if you look at the world as it is today and I, I just feel that, wow, maybe that was it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I have the conversations like this with, um, you know, Keith from Destroyer, and he just said to me, he goes, mate, I think the party's over. And it's like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I, I kind of, part of me is unwilling to quite just give up on, of course, everything that we've created over all the years. But at the same time, a part of me does wonder like, yeah, maybe, because, you know, once you really, there are people who have still have, you know, the hope that everything is going to go back to normal. When, you know, like when you're inside the industry, but you realize, not only just really banal and boring things like insurance companies aren't going to insure a venue that doesn't have all of the, um, you know, that everybody in there isn't vaccinated in the net. How long is that percentage going to take? Uh, flying, uh, you know, um, baggage for flying. You, if you need to, to get vaccinated in and out, then there's no fee for bans, blah, blah, blah. If, it's, if there's a cap on the room that's 20%, 30%, that means we would have to pay in a two and a half thousand capacity room. And also, once you unravel the, um, let's say, the positivity of belief that it's going to come back, that's when I start to kind of go, okay, this might not come back as we imagined, you know, unless the world decides that it, that, you know, um, health and safety isn't the overriding concern for life, for the, you know, or it's health and safety with all these other things. But yeah, part of me, we were talking about it, and he was just like, can you see really 300 people being allowed into a 300 capacity venue to rage to a band like yeah. they used to? Um, and unfortunately, the kind of music that we're involved in, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's a part of me that just like you wonders like, OK. Um, but I feel kind of very much cut adrift then from all of the things that you were. So how do you redefine yourself in middle age uh, once you've lived a sort of analog life? Because if the life yeah. is just being on a screen... Uh, I don't. I can't see any reason for making any more heavy metal. No, I I kind of agree with you. Um, 
Wow, this is a big, big topic, and uh, obviously something that you've been thinking a lot about, and so I, so have I. Yeah. But I definitely think that if the itch comes back to write music, I wouldn't have any problem, you know, doing albums. Yeah, I think we'll make one more primordial for sure, because we started yeah. rehearsing it before we got locked down. Yeah, okay. But... Um, yeah. Um, but the other thing is that, like you kind of hinted at, that I'm not interested in doing, you know, uh, social distancing gigs. And now I'm not talking about the streaming stuff, but I'm talking about, like you said, that uh, we can only have this venue half filled and people have to stand three meters apart from each other. You know, that's then it's not heavy metal anymore. And no. if you do music where people can sit down and enjoy it, you know, yeah. that's fine. But that that's like 90% gone from a heavy metal show. Yeah. And and uh, those 90% that, that they were the reason that I wanted to play heavy metal, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not, trying to be pessimistic about it i'm more i feel more like um is it a word in english laconic yeah sure yeah yeah laconic yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm kind of like the chips will fall somewhere or another and and i'm um you know i'm just waiting for it but yeah i'm not holding my breath <laughs> but you're but you're my uh, observation you're generally a pretty sort of calm laconic is a good word actually you're sort of like a calm person anyway who could probably deal with this much better than me because i'm a bit more sort of <laughs> well sometimes but it's not always my um go-to mode of <laughs> you know uh engaging with these things but yeah i do worry i do worry that like um as we said like yeah that's the things whether it's it's well anything with moving parts any music whether it's indie goth rock all of these things that we consider um legacy systems or old analog living ways of life all of those things uh, i i just i mean most people will say to me oh look human nature will dictate that people will want to come back and see live music but you see and people keep sending me screenshots of look what's happening in new zealand or in australia but then when you actually examine it what you find is a state sponsored festival where people buy tickets and are allowed into their little a little pen with the people you've bought the tickets for. And there's a little sort of system where people bring beer. So in a way, is it any different than being in North Korea and, you know, being having the state sponsored opera is the only thing you can see. That's I mean, of course, that's my rather cynical view of these things. Um, but if everything is going to have to have this, you know, the process uh, and system around it of, co of corporatism, the sort of, I guess, the pandemic corporatism around it, then we're going to end up with just like state validated shows or no free, no sense of expression that isn't just part of the state apparatus. And that really worries me because that for, for art, for dissent, for, well, I suppose the rebellious nature of what heavy metal was, if we bring it right down to some sort of base level, that's really worrying because then that means there's no gig around the corner for a hundred kids, you know, with their thrash band and, you know, there's no small venues because they need to reinstall a ventilation, this and a scanning machines and no insurance yeah. company will insure them in case. Any. So again, that's why I kind of worry about like, all oh, right, we're moving into 
state-sponsored freedom of expression, which, you know. Well, yeah, I, I see, what, you can see where my mind is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but Alan, you, yeah. you can't worry about things like that. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know. Um, it's like uh, there's nothing you can do about it. And also, um, it's not your problem. You're too <laughs> old to care about that. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I kind of disagree. It sort of is our problem because it affects who we, who we are, our, our sense of ourselves, our creativity and all this kind of thing. Like, you know, if they say, okay, you know, literally, you have your five kilometer radius you can't go outside. Well, then it really does. I think it does kind of affect us. I understand what you mean in the in the grand scheme. Who are we? But if it affects, you know, your ability to be, you know, an artist or creative or make music, then I suppose I, th I kind of feel like it is my business, but I'm not able to switch off from it and not think about it, you know? Yeah, I understand. But do you mean, I mean, obviously you care uh, about what happens to Primordial, and obviously I care about what happens to Grand Magus, but I can't say that uh, I worry that much about the future generations of heavy metal, you know, mm. uh, because why should I? I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, a president of the Union of Heavy Metal. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean a band. And and, and that band is the only only thing I care about, you know, and obviously what? my friends and other bands, but, you know, and I, I'm just going to say that if we find this difficult, imagine being a new band. Yeah. Yeah, we've just recorded our new album, our first album, and now we were going on tour and we've been a band for two years, you know. Yeah. Forget about that. Well, they don't, in a sense, they don't know what they, they're missing to miss it. No. But, but I totally understand you. Um, oh, well, I'll put it to you this way. A friend of mine said to me, we were discussing this, and she said, why, why, why do you give a fuck about the theatre? You never went to the theatre. And I went, and I said to her, well, I give a fuck about art, artistic expression, its place in culture and society. And the fact that, you know, standing in the square telling a story is one of the oldest forms of uh, interaction known to man. And if those are removed... I guess what it is is that I'm railing against the anti-humanism of this whole process. And wherever I see it, I'm sort of again, instinctively against it. So I'm supporting every, um, I suppose, expression that is opposed to that, even if it's something that seems like, say, the theatre. I don't, I never went to the theatre, but I am feel sad for my friends who take part in that, who aren't able to do that anymore. And the idea that we won't have the theatre anymore somehow seems terribly depressing or culturally reductive to me yeah. you know? now in that sense i totally agree with you obviously um and like i mentioned i worry about restaurants and stuff for because yeah. for me i mean restaurants are also part of culture in a very big way you know mm. and and um the the places that you really love and you know you love the food and you love the people and you love the surroundings and everything and you just think that wow they're going to be gone you know, in, in six months or something. And that, that really gets to me and, and absolutely about the uh, culture in a larger sense. But I think that theater, opera, classical music, it's absolutely gonna survive this. Um, mm -hmm. on the other, but, 
like you mentioned, the, the small dingy clubs that we started playing in with maybe half a toilet <laughs> for, you know, 300 people. And, and, you know, the roof is nearly f- f- caving in and, you know, all that that we've experienced. That's going to be a problem, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's more like a, a heavy metal problem, maybe. <laughs> Or punk and thrash and you know stuff like that. Rock, but, and, rock and roll, eh? yeah. Yeah, rock and roll, yeah. But um, I don't see uh, that theater uh, in particular is part of that problem, or or uh, they're not going to be as damaged. I think. Maybe not. Maybe not. I suppose it's sitting and seated and distanced, and comedy theoretically could come back and stuff. You know. Yeah, but, but I, I have. A, a very positive um, uh, speculation about this, uh, like an effect of this, and that would be that um, you know the the, um, the creator's uh, fee when it comes to writing music mm. and getting something for for people listening to it. I'm not talking about gigs now. I'm talking yeah. about uh, will I think uh, there will be huge steps towards some kind of reasonable situation with that, which mm-hmm. means that you could again have people surviving on just writing music, you know, like Dark Throne and uh, Bathory did. Why do you think that? Because, because it, otherwise uh, the only thing that's going to... Uh, exist is uh you know amateur music yeah and that's not that's not enough i think for people no i mean anecdotally uh, everyone i speak to who's working at the big labels and metal labels they have often told me this has been their best year the first month or two were difficult and then when people recalibrated and went oh we're not going anywhere orders online started going up so paradoxically as awful as musicians are doing the labels are doing really really well okay. that's a really okay. strange situation you know okay well what i meant is that what happened during our um uh, heyday uh which might not be over yet <laughs> uh what happened was that you know record sales dropped and the live thing became what you did yeah uh, and so all the the uh, circumstances around touring became so much better than when we started. You know, there was so many more venues. Everything yeah. was, uh, you know, you got paid better. Everything was uh, organized much better. And there were, you know, 500 bands on tour in every European country at any point in time. And obviously that's not happening now. Mm. And so something has got to change or revert maybe a bit, at least, back to the way it was before. And you think that the streaming platforms are going to be sort of allow that to happen? Or you think that uh, you mean just people ordering stuff directly or? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. But but I I think that the the thirst and, and the desire for music is never going to disappear, you know. Mm. Um, 
And if you can't see bands live, you're going to want to, you know, have a part of it somehow. Mm. Um, I mean, hopefully, I just wonder. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, I, 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 I'm not sure. It's not something I've really thought about, to be honest. I, you know, the labels are doing really, really well. I'm just not sure the streaming services are going to, you know, revise their rates. Um, but I wanted to uh, pivot a bit and ask you about something, because um, I'm sure people in the opening say bit of this will be like, oh, they're talking about the pandemic or, and all this kind of stuff. Ask them about singing, you know might just be a bit more <laughs> a bit more interesting for some people but one thing i'm really curious about is like the stockholm scene of the 80s like um just to completely change direction and stuff because i was sort of i was watching this um for some reason i was watching this sort of badly put together footage of Corthon signing in a record store in 86 yeah. in stockholm and everybody i speak to from that era in the swedish scene kind of says there were no gigs and no venues but still loads of bands, but not really any metal pub where people met and that kind of stuff. So I just want to sort of pivot a bit to like Stockholm and say 88 or 87, 89, and what sort of scene you were, uh, if you were, and it's, you know, sort of your recollections of that time, because that's when all the death metal was about to explode. And what, like, what were you doing then? Well, I was uh, in Falun where I grew up. So I was, uh, quite away from Stockholm. So sure. I, I don't have any kind of first-hand experience of what was going on uh, at that time. But on the other hand, um, when I moved to Stockholm, uh, this was mid-90s, um, I became you know, friends with um, all the death metal guys and the black metal, metal guys in Stockholm. Mm -hmm. So. They've told me all about this time, you know, and what happened. And I think what you said is is basically true. What what happened was that they played at you know youth um, halls and stuff. And hall sounds like it's something big, but you know youth cafes and Folka Parkett or whatever it's called. No, no, no. This is even uh, this is even smaller. It's like uh, you know this little. Um, like a, a small um, thing that people went to after school uh, or had, you know, small gatherings. So, uh, because like you said, I don't think there were, were like maybe two or three uh, mid-sized venues in Stockholm. And, and these bands, I mean, these guys, they were 16, 17 when they started. Yeah. So they weren't even allowed to, uh, you know, uh, to to organize gigs uh, at those places. So they they just put together stuff themselves, totally uh, amateur night, you know. So what was your? Uh, so what was your first? Uh, you just sort of like literally packed up the guitar and moved to Stockholm in ninety five, ninety six, or how did it go? Like, what was your first band then? Uh, before that, you must have been playing with something. Yeah, well, I, I was, um, I moved from uh, where I grew up to a, a town called Uppsala, where I went to yeah. university. Yeah, so I started a few bands there. And one of those bands I kind of carried with me to Stockholm. And then um, 
I got together with some new people and we even put an ad out where, uh, you know, to get a drummer and stuff like that. So, and in that kind of um, very uh, uh, primordial state of, of Grand Vegas, yeah. we, uh, uh, we played a gig uh, and Fred Espy from this member was doing uh, the in-house front of house sound. And uh, he thought we were very good and said that, hey, if you ever if you ever get a record contract and record an album, I'd be happy to uh, to record it for you, you know. So that was kind of uh, like the first boot into this uh, pretty close-knit fraternity and, and circle of people in Stockholm, uh, people who've been racing hell in Stockholm for 10 years or something. And then, you know, I got to know more people and, and I, uh, my, um, my girlfriend, uh, who's still my girlfriend, uh, she knew all these people. So when we became a, an item, I was kind of introduced to everyone. And okay. from there on, it, things became very, a lot more easy, you know, when it comes to rehearsal spaces and, and uh, stuff like that. So... At one point, we shared rehearsal room with this member and Dark Funeral. Okay, you know, so uh, it's uh, it's a very small, small world in Stockholm, uh, anyway. You know, but, but when, or at least it was. Yeah, and when people like people will want me to want me to ask you, but when did you know that moment where you knew you could sing? Like, because I started yeah. off. I started off, and we had rehearsals in ninety end of 91, 92, and I wanted to do this kind of oh, mesmerized, you know, kind of into the pandemonium, Christian death <laughs> kind of goth voice that I, but right. I didn't, I didn't know what, really what I was doing. And then gradually on the first album, there's a few songs that have clean singing and I'd never heard myself sing properly. And then when the guy recorded it, I was like, oh, it's not too bad. But that moment where you went, oh, okay, I, I think I can do this a bit, but you must have been a bit more... Um, I imagine it must have been a bit more instant for you, no? Well, actually, it was kind of a, a fluke because our singer, then singer, uh, he he left the band, and so uh, we were four four piece. Uh, so um, I just thought that maybe I should just try. Um, and so I did, and it felt very, um, yeah, it felt very natural um, somehow. Um, that's all I can say. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, and yeah. But it always um, seems, it always seems to me like you have a really naturally effortless style at being able to be sort of calm and play the guitar and sing. And it always struck me because I'd watch and I go, like, it just seems so effortless. Where very often I'm like. Like fucking pushing, uh, <laughs> up and jumping around and all sorts of stuff, and it just this the, the the kind of calm way you did it struck me like, oh, this must have always been effortless or a very easy thing for you to fall into and and do, you know. That's my observation. Well, on the outside. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that um, it felt very natural. On the other hand, like the first first gigs and stuff, uh, I was very, uh, you know, ah, like this. And then I, 
I felt that, hey, this doesn't work. You know, you just completely sever your vocal cords if you push too hard, you know. Yeah. On the other hand, um, I mean, I you you have like two different types of, of uh, vocal approaches as well. I mean, you have the the more screamy style, but you also uh, have a, a a more like sings singing type voice as well. Uh, yeah. And when you do that, do you push? Um. I kind of find like what like I don't like say when I would watch and you sing, you have a sort of natural sort of bottom end to your voice that I don't really have. Mine is a bit sort of middling, but that it's that, you know, ah, like getting, getting the ah, grit into the singing voice. Yeah. Is that like getting over the hump of doing that, which would destroy my voice when I started doing it like 20, 2002, 2003, then you kind of become used to it and you learn to, you just kind of project it from here and make it be less of a head voice and more of a, chest voice and sort of you learn to just project it a lot better and now that that sort of let's say the the blacky lawless grit that you add into the singing initially was the hardest thing to do and to keep and maintain and now I find it easier you know but that's not really something you don't really put the ah, as much into the into the voice you know it's I think that I find it it's harder but it's you're able to hold and go through notes once you figure out how to do it easier like if when i'm the first thing that disappears with my voice on tour is that voice that clean clean voice i can yeah, still yeah. do i can still do ah, and do it in notes yeah. but or i have to go down an octave and then go through yeah. but um yeah, i tend to kind of sing quite loud and sort of yeah force it from here but it's gone from being here to here which i think is maybe yeah yeah technically a better yeah. thing to do i don't know where does yours come from <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I mean, um, I, I'm also quite loud, uh, so I guess there's a lot of air being pushed around, which is not necessarily a good thing. Um, no. I, I think that uh, um, the, the, the real key to any kind of longevity uh, singing-wise is to be relaxed, even though it doesn't sound like you are. Mm. Uh, you mentioned Blackie Lawless. He's got this amazing, you know, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's like a gravelly distortion without yeah. being, yeah, it's totally unique voice, really. Yeah. But he's also got incredible stamina. He sounds, he sounds like that today, and the guy is fucking old, you know. Yeah. Sorry, Blackie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think he's just perfected. And he just had a natural technique to begin with that was very relaxed. And all the, uh, you know, like LG, for instance, in Entombed. Mm. Also, I mean, the guy sounds like he's trying to fucking kill someone, but mm. he's completely relaxed. You know, it's he's just uh, it just um, Jürgen Sandström. Uh, yeah. You know, from Grave and yeah, yeah, sure. I played football yeah. with him. <laughs> yeah, he's also got this fucking amazing, brutal voice that's just at the same time really relaxed. Yoni and Unleashed, same thing. Yeah. Uh, but those are death metal voices. Yeah. Uh, you have much more of a like a, I wouldn't say like a, a black metal voice, but it's sometimes yeah, a lot, yeah, it's a lot more um, kind of aggressive. 
I would say, aggressive yeah. in a different way, more like. Yeah. Gonna, yeah. That was my that was my intention was to mix, but I always I I was like the the style of like you know the kind of Slades and um, you know Phil Morgan UFO the phrasing always to have the diction really good and the yeah, hard, yeah. hard and soft consonants which I know like it's one of the things I love about Grand Magus is is the delivery and diction within the clear vocal is so like you don't need the lyric sheet which I always try to make very clear with Primordial as well. The pronunciation and the enunciation you know because i still remember the sort of techniques the you know the vowel techniques before playing yeah. live that you were telling me about but it, i kind of took a bit from 70s singers i like the you know the kind of getting the you know when you're sort of recording and you're editing the words to fit the syncopation sometimes and you're moving in yeah. vowels and, and in my head i'm like Phil in it, Phil Mog, especially UFO, uh, you know, Bad Company. That's kind of that voice that, you know, that natural 70s grit in the voice was something I wanted to put with my black metal kind of voice. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, and um, one big thing that you touched upon there is uh, how you write your lyrics. Mm. Um, because people who who don't sing and write lyrics uh, they tend to have a lot of words yeah 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 uh, yeah and words that don't really work oh. um, and for me yeah I I'm really really um, oh, what's the word I'm, I'm really really um, paying attention to the words with the music um, and uh, usually that, that's something that, um, let's say you, you're recording a song and you do your first vocal takes um, and you realize that, you know, get rid of the the yeah, here. Totally. Get yeah. rid of the of here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can have a word like, uh, well, liability. Yeah. So maybe that's a perfect word, <laughs> but you know, we have to, I have to rewrite the lyrics to be able to sing with power and projection, you know. Yeah. I totally um, agree. I, do, I, 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 sometimes I'm editing them like yeah. take to take going on. You'd yeah. that, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Because you don't because want the wrong consonants or the wrong emphasis on the wrong bit, you know. Exactly. And, and that's very hard to know when you're sitting down at home writing lyrics. It's not until you kind of put them to the test that you realize that, you know, there's uh, five prepositions in here that just fuck this line up completely, you know. Yeah. So get rid of it. You know? And that's always the mastery behind like Dio or something or Priest. Yeah. But especially Dio to make it sound so simple. Yeah. I, I remember going to Hole in the Sky and to, to sing a few songs. In the end, we did Pentagram and Iron Maiden with these bunch of teenagers, very talented uh, dudes. I just got up and sang with them and they wanted to do Kill the King. And I was like, this, yeah. forget it. And it's only when you really analyze Kill the King, you hear the hard, soft constant rolling with the rolling with the bass drum and the bass. You know, la, 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 and you're like, Jesus Christ, it's so, so locked yeah. to the rhythm, regardless yeah. of the guitar. Uh, it's just mastery of, and also yeah. of the lyrics themselves, you know. I always thought there was a touch of the Dio about what you were doing, though, you know. 
Well, it's interesting that you brought that up because I, number one, I totally agree with you. Uh, and he was really a master of that. And I think the reason that he was a master of that uh, was that he was such a great singer, you know, mm. so that he, he knew that in order for my vocals to really come through, they have to really, really fit with the music, go with the music. Because if you just sing a bunch of words yeah. that, you know, then you're going to sound weak and no one's going to understand what you're singing and yeah. the music is going in that direction and your vocals are going in that direction. So, um, and also he used a lot of pretty long notes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he wasn't like this. He was more yeah. like, wah, you know. Yeah. And that was a huge inspiration for me. And and also, you know, if you, if you read my lyrics, they're not very long, you know. Yeah, yeah I have the same thing. Many. Yeah. And, yeah I, and I feel that if, if you play this type of, well, you're even, you know, Primordial is even more epic than, than what we do. We're more, you know, towards the Manowar thing, but you have really long, epic, stuff and if you just go on blabbering yeah, lyrics yeah. through that it's going to sound silly yeah. so uh, yeah yeah well i think it's part of the sort of the, the, the drama or the dynamics of the yeah. song to know which bit to sing over which bit to let it go especially yeah. if you've got an eight or nine minute long song which is slowly unfolding you don't want to go everything personally i like i like sometimes being um leaning into my own not uh, my own state of not wanting to always go with the natural rhythm or to you know to yeah. sing across the the lines like ah, like landing on the note through um sure. the processes underneath which i think maybe other singers would follow the duk, 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 duk. i like straining across and landing on the yeah. other side almost like jumping over a river that you don't know you're going to land on the other bank kind of thing which yeah. you know, I was talking to Addy from Salsifer about this and he was like what the fuck that's totally the opposite thing of what I would put there and I was there like okay yeah. that, that's good because <laughs> yeah, that yeah. gives you the character of a you know but I, I'm totally aware as you, exactly what you're saying of editing out the unnecessary words which is very often when you look at the lyric sheet people go why is that word on the lyric sheet but you're not singing, I go, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens as well sometimes. Um, but a, there's also a difference. I mean, your music is uh, much less traditional mm. than, than our, I mean, uh, most of our songs are, you know, they have a chorus, you know, like a big chorus and yeah, yeah. verse, chorus, blah, blah, blah. And it's much more, um, yeah, much more traditional, I would say. I mean, your stuff is more, uh, I wouldn't say experimental, but it's, it's, uh, it's less governed by form. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 think. I, think, I think you're right, yeah. But when you're writing, like, are you sitting with the guitar and then you put the melody vocal melody afterwards or are you thinking to going around thinking about like i often write lyrics on my phone randomly these days and then i go back or if i'm writing for dread sovereign sometimes i put the riff around the lyric but which is not very which is not very musical but are you just messing around on the guitar at home or how does it come out like yeah pretty much usually starts with um, um that i i'm out walking or doing whatever and i think of a like a melody line um really? singing yeah yeah 
But do you sing uh, it in Japan then, or what do you do? Yes, yes. Yeah. You you wouldn't imagine how much rubbish I have my phone, you know. And and uh, I usually, um, for the longest period, I usually just have nonsense words. Really? Yeah. That's very Metallica thing to do. If you listen to the demos of and Justice for really? All, James is just going like Harvest yeah. of Sorrow before he puts the yeah. words in. I never did that. Never. I never made the kind of. But my, my mate Rob from Vomitor, he goes dan 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 He records the riffs with his into his phone, which is like he playing the back to me, going, "This is that which is like I, you know, broke my brain. I mean, it was amazing to hear, but like. Yeah, but I, do, you, do you use the guitar when you write songs? Um, yeah, I mean, for Dread Sovereign, yeah. I mean, with Primordial, it's more, Kiron comes in with the, an idea usually, and we're all, we, you know, we, we don't trade files. We won't do anything like that. So we have to meet in the room, and everybody sits, and he goes, here's an idea. And everybody kind of will put their bits together, or somebody might go, I might go, hey, remember that song we did six months ago? What, would that bit fit here? Or Kieran, either sometimes he'd have the whole song mapped out and written out. Mick is very methodical. He has all his parts worked out. And we all sort of structure it together, um, you know. So you're kind of all involved in the process. I mean, yeah, that's cool. Do you, do you bring in entire songs to rehearsal room then? Or uh, is everybody allowed to fiddle about with what you've, you've done or what? It's, it's been a bit different over the years, but... Um since I'm the guitar player in the band and the singer, mm. uh, I have the luxury of being able to, you know, do complete songs uh, if I want to, you know, and, and that's, that's been done in, in the past. That doesn't mean that I've decided what, what, uh, you know, Fox or Ludwig are going to be playing, but on the other hand, uh, like for the last album, um, what I just mentioned, uh, that type of process is not nearly as fun, as much fun as start from scratch in the rehearsal room yeah. and just do it together. And then from, from that, I can take it back on my own and kind of fiddle around with it a bit and yeah. see what kind of um, music or melody ideas I have. And then, you know, we just, uh, you know, process it together the day after and, and etc. And for me, that's the way we did it on the last album. That's the way we did it on uh, Hammer of the North and pretty much uh, all the albums preceding that one. But there was like uh, three or four albums, sorry, three albums where I wrote most of the stuff on my own with, uh, you know, in Garage Band. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, it turned out cool. Uh, I'm not displeased with those albums at all, but it was so much more fun to do it this way. Yeah, it, it has also, to be. Yeah, and that's the way it should be. I mean, if, if you're a band, yeah, I'm not saying for, for other bands necessarily. I mean, every, every band's different, but for us, uh, that's really the, and that's one of the most fun parts of being in a band as well, writing yeah. stuff together in the rehearsal room, yeah, it's I the, think. It's the human process of it as well, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's also the, just the interaction, I suppose, the camaraderie, the idea that you're 
I, it's one of the words that I've been using a lot to describe this last year is agency. And people sometimes are confused what I mean, but you know, okay, so you take the thing that you create in the rehearsal room, right? Which eventually will make, you know, be on a record that a record label presses, that people work there, that's distributed. People bring it to maybe to shops, the merch table, people come to a show. So that one, I often think about this, the one riff that you write is the stone dropping in the pool that spreads the ripples out, which, yeah. is, which is agency, which eventually ends up with you standing on the stage singing, uh, yeah, yeah. 400 people in the room and that transfer of humanity, energy, joy, whatever, you know, makes sound yeah. strange for me to say that, that being the cynical old goat that I am. But that's <laughs> the, the, the lack of agency, because all of a sudden there's no stone to drop in the water that doesn't ripple out. Whether it's, you know, like sometimes I really enjoy you arrive at a fest uh, at a, in the morning at the airport and it's the same driver from the previous year. And I talk about football for the two hour journey to the festival because he's the same guy from last year and we argue about yeah. it. I, all those little small bits of the puzzle, um, that may sound really banal, but I think are really sort of important to the stone dropping in the water. And But it all comes from that first impulse, that first riff, you know, that you, that yeah. you make in the, in the rehearsal room. Uh, I, I, yeah. just, I think about that a lot, it, you know. Yeah, I think that's very uh, astute um, and very much to the point. Uh, Two things, I mean, number one, like you were hinting at, is that human life is about the details. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a cliche, but it's the it's really the small things that matter the most in, in the long run, you know. And that little detail that you mentioned, you know, that riff that instead of doing this, doing that, and yeah. that makes the whole difference, you know. And playing heavy metal music, uh, it's the small nuances that, that is the key to a new song because you're basically reinventing the wheel any, uh, every time, you know. Yeah, but, there's only X uh, amount of notes or whatever, yeah. Exactly. Um, and the other thing is that um, a, if you do everything yourself, you can never have that almost ecstatic feel when you're in the rehearsal room and you have a riff and you fiddle around with it and then the drummer just does something yeah yeah that you know blows your mind and and everyone is in it together and and you, it's it's almost like um an outer body experience i think yeah and yeah. that doesn't happen when you sit on your own i mean you can be very pleased with a song that you've written yeah, but when when you do that quantum leap together at the same time in the same room, yeah, uh, that's almost unbeatable. Only a, a really really uh, perfect gig can come close to that. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like I kind of I like the kind of the, if you want a heavy metal phrase for it, the alchemy of the situation. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But so how come you always resisted uh, getting another guitar player then? I like I like the, the idea of a power trio, but do you ever feel a bit lost on a really big stage? No. Not lost um, is not the right word, but you know, like sometimes uh, huge expanse of the stage, like uh, with Primordial, I get to, you know, I can, you know, do black metal Bruce Dickinson and run around and stuff. But how come you always, you never wanted a, another guitar? Or maybe you did, I don't know. Well, that's the age-old question. Uh, well, uh, I think for me, 
some of the biggest influences that I've had uh, are uh, Motorhead, um, yeah. you know, Venom. Um, and I just thought it was really cool that three people could make so, so much noise, you know. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's lacking. I like it. I like those influences as well. But I'm, I'm just, I was just wondering what was your impetus for that? Or did you get sick of people asking you about it, as I'm sure? <laughs> um, I think that uh, when you've done something for such a long time, you're kind of unwilling to change it because that's become the identity of the band. Uh, and also on a big stage, I think it's really cool uh, to be that band. Fuck me, there are only three people. What are they doing on that whacking stage? You know, it looks yeah. crazy, but the sound is, you know, we always had pretty good sound engineers. And, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure, yeah. Uh, and that gives it, I think, you know, music is all about different flavors, really. Yeah. Uh, if all if all heavy metal bands had two guitars and and you know a separate lead singer like Judas Priest, then okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's awesome, but um, it's also pretty fun to be only three people and playing these big stages, you know, and and uh, usually. It's like okay, what, what, how could they possibly pull this off without backing tracks and stuff like that? And yeah, yeah. you know, we do. We yeah. don't sound like uh, we don't sound like uh, Rammstein, you know. But yeah. we make some noise, and and every all the noise, even if it's bad, is it real? At least totally real, you know. If I break yeah. a string, that's yeah, yeah. it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I like that. And so of the of the records, though, I mean, objectively, um, do you I people ask me this and I I don't really have it. They say, oh, what's your favorite or what's your favorite album? They said, I don't really I don't really think of it like that. There's songs I prefer to play live and not play live. But um, I, I sort of love all the albums for different reasons. I think they're just kind of like um, they mark you in your position in your life, and I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I like I like the fact that some of them are flawed in their sound or character. But do you yeah. have any? Do you have favorites or what? Or is there any um, miss? Is there any missteps that you regret? With any well, the last album is my favorite. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, sure. There, there are things that I would have done differently uh, but like you said they're a, they're a testament to where you were at that point in time and I think that's the the most important thing for a band um, that's about honesty yeah I know that you are and and Gramegus is definitely that uh, which is why our albums don't sound the same uh, because you change over time and, and you can change you can also change back to the way you were and, yeah. and you can go in a different direction and every album we've done has been like a, a very honest representation of where we were at that time yeah. but then you have uh, circumstances when it comes to who mixed it and how they were feeling at that time and stuff like that and sometimes it doesn't work out the way you want it but yeah hey you you can't um you can't be like that guy uh 
I don't know if it's true, but there's a story about this famous uh, artist painter uh, who was caught by the guards in the Louvre because he was sitting and trying to to alter his uh, painting that All was right. on this. <laughs> and they were like, hey, man, I know this. You did this, but it's over. It's ours now. You know, you can't change this now. Yeah, I like the idea. I think heavy metal needs to be. I, th I think that you you shouldn't second guess yourself. Is how I feel. So with Dread Sovereign, it's very instinctual. It's like, okay, this is the good vibe. Let's go for it. I often feel like that with vocal takes. If I feel it's right, I could do a whole song in one go. Uh, and if it goes, yeah. like, eh, and if it goes, and you fall on a word, I go, oh, well, that's how I sound. Fucking leave it. I'm, I'm not yeah. a perfectionist. I rather it um, sort of frames has a sort of frames you at that moment where you, your instinct was on top. And I, I find that if you trust in your instinct very often, it works better than going, returning, returning, returning to try and fix a little thing. I'm not, I'm not like that at all. Like, do you find yourself going back, fiddling with things with the vocals and tinkering? I, I, I tend to just fucking like leave it. I'll do two hours of really intense work with singing and I'll like rip through whole songs and then go back and fiddle with the odd thing. But generally, I'll do the singing of a whole album in a day if I could, or two days, two days mostly. And then a few layers and a few this, you know, but I, I want to belt through it. There's nothing more interminable than sitting there going, oh, 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 and trying to fix the harmony perfectly. It's like, that's not me, you know, or maybe it's laziness. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know you, you've uh, had uh, uh, producers who are too nice. Um, no, too lenient. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> no, that's yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, um, that's really impressive. I don't think I could do, I mean, I could do vocals in two days, but I, I, I don't think I would be pleased with it, you know. Um, for me, it's, I really want to be, I really want to know that it's the best that I can do. Mm. Um, so I've, and depending on who we're recording with as well. I mean, uh, when we uh, we did quite a few albums with uh, Nico uh, Elstrand from Entombed. Oh yeah, he was yeah. yeah he he was on me like a fucking you know yeah. Come on, you yeah. can do better than that. And you know we're not gonna leave this room until you do this the way it should be. And we did a lot of harmony work and stuff yeah, yeah. like that as well, which takes forever. Yeah, I you know. know. Yeah, and um, and I I think I mean we're a very warts and all band, but heavy metal, uh, the type of heavy metal we do, at least strives a bit toward man war. Yeah, a yeah. bit toward you know Dio era, Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, kind of. So um, it can. It must be rough and ready in the right way, you know. Yeah. I, I'd be very, I'd be very disappointed if I was, you know, out of pitch, or you know, singing flat through a whole song and stuff like that. I, yeah. you know, and it, if I don't feel that I have it that day. Forget about it. I'll come back tomorrow. You know, this is well. This is very important to me. Is that like, um, well, so say in the we've been in the studio for. I remember where Greater Men Has Fallen, and yeah. um, we were living in the countryside. And being a city boy, I'm not. I wasn't used to the noises of the countryside. 
And so we all had our own separate, yeah, I couldn't sleep. So we all had our separate rooms. So basically what was happening is that all the rest of them who have kids and work were getting up at 10 a.m. to want to work. And I'm like, I'll see you guys at 6 p.m. And it would drive them insane. And I was like, you can go to work today if you want. I'm not doing anything till I'm, I've woken up and blah, blah, blah. But between six and nine, I'll do, I'll fucking fire through the work and I'll just be like, like what I have there. But you know, you've got to be running the right headspace, the right mood. If I'm like a bit under the weather or tired, I can't pull out the singing. So it would infuriate everybody because I'd be like, no, you can't do this until you feel in the game. And unfortunately for everyone else, I'm a night time you know i'm a night bird not a fucking morning person so everybody had to like all right so we have to sit around all fucking days like we can go to work if you want or and then come back in the evening and we'll do it but it would drive everyone insane because i turned the studio yeah yeah timing on its head i'd want to work at like 11 p.m or 10 p.m everybody's like no no (laughs) but i agree with you i think you have to be in the right frame of mind because it's it's coming it's the noise that's coming from you and this is what when I argue with Kieran all the time, sometimes, you know, he'd be like, you just need to do this. And I go, well, I'm, you know, you feel tired. You're, you're trying to, it's a muscle. And, you know, yourself, if you're tired, yeah. you don't want to do weights or, you know, if you're really yeah. tired, you don't want to go running or whatever. It's it's kind of kind of similar, but I'm not as much of a perfectionist. I think, or a, like, I like to leave in fallen notes and miss things. Like we did a, a song called Last Call on the last record. And Ola really, the engineer, really kicked my ass for the harmonies and the timing. And we undid some of it because it was too high. Yeah. Tight. Yeah. Well, I I, I, uh, I totally hear you on that. I mean, but there's a, for me, there's a huge gap from, um, for me, uh, I mean, putting a lot of work into the vocals. Uh, and it varies, but from going there to like Def Leppard stuff. Oh yeah, you know that's not what, what we've. Been, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what we've been doing, you know. And and uh, if heavy metal is too polished, then then it doesn't have any. Uh, you know, there's no guts left in it. You know. Yeah. So, uh, but like you said, for me, I mean, it's a very physical thing. Next to playing the drums, I would say that singing is, you know, you you have to, your whole body needs to be, yeah, you know, ready. Uh, f- for me, if if I'm doing guitar solos, I can pretty much, you know, have dengue fever, fever, and I could fucking do it, you know. Yeah. Not necessarily good, but if yeah. I know what I'm supposed to play, I can play it, you know. Yeah, I'm, I remember Sackis from Rodding Christ telling me that when they made Triarchy, The Lost Lovers, he was so, so sick with flu, but he could still play yeah. the guitar. But when it came to the singing, he just found it, and he, you know, yeah. so fucking hard to just even to just stand up. The same thing happened to me with Redemption. I got, I guess, I might have got a touch of swine flu. I don't know. We're in Wales, but I was leveled. I like was on so many painkillers and this, that, and the other, and all this kind of stuff, just to stand up in the evening for a few hours of singing. I don't really remember some of it. I was so ill. because I was just sleeping yeah. all day and had asthma and all sorts of allergies and, you know, it just exploded. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's just, it is such a physical thing. Have you ever lost your voice completely on stage or anything like that? No, it, it never happened to me, luckily. Uh, really? I mean, I've had, yeah, I've had uh, rough nights absolutely and and uh you know if if you have a cold or something it's absolutely a struggle mm. 
but I, I've never, uh, I've never lost it. Um, I know you have. It happened to me at Bloodstock in front of about yeah. 10,000 people, but it was so yeah. weird because I was kneeling at the front of the stage and I was like, Rah! and the voice, and I, I remember like a cloud of really dark smoke from the stage came across. And I remember, yeah. I remember singing and thinking that smells fucking weird. Like, like a, a sort of very strong disinfectanty kind of smell. And then instantly my voice just went like nothing. Like I couldn't even whisper. And I, yeah, I was yeah. like, what the fuck? I had to go to the bass player and he's like, what? And it, it just like, it's rebounded. I think it's called temporary vocal cord paralysis. But that must have been something you inhaled then from that smoke. Yeah, that's what I felt like. You know, it literally yeah. just went from a full roar, like just yeah. instantly. Like my vocal cord just went, no. Nah. Like, you know the way if you, if you cut yourself really badly or hurt yourself, your brain goes, yeah, we'll, we'll block that out. <clears throat> you know, I remember smashing my hand open playing hockey and I had like, I could see all the tendons and the skin oh. back of my hand. And my, I looked at it and my brain just went, yeah, okay. Block, just blocked Goodbye. it out yeah, yeah. and i think yeah. that, that maybe that's what it was but you've never lost you've never lost it like that no but i you know i've had but that sounds to me like uh not something you know that you that you did uh yeah. it sounds like maybe something was on fire or whatever it, or, or a chemical in the smoke or something yeah. like this, you know yeah but i mean um I've absolutely have had uh, gigs where I was uh, mightily displeased with my own performance because uh, because of physical reasons that you couldn't perform the way you want. Uh, and also, uh, monitors can be uh, oh, yeah. yeah a real nightmare. Um, and I have pretty specific. Uh, um, I know there is a certain frequency uh, from the monitors where it, for me, feels effortless to sing. Yeah, if it's if they get it right, yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and I've kind of tried with different uh, sound engineers to dial that in, but sometimes the monitors can't, you know, they just start feeding back or whatever, and you can't have it like that. Um, and this is something that I uh, discovered pretty recently, I would say like in the last six or seven years or something. And before that, it was like every night, uh, you know, pretty much hit and miss, you know, and I, I never figured out what, what's the problem. I mean, I can hear my voice. That's not the problem. Sure. Uh, but it just feels so difficult to, uh, and I'm talking about high, higher notes now. Not, yeah. I've never had any problems with the low yeah. low end i think you're, you're uh, yeah. what's lucky for you is that you're playing the guitar so you're in charge of how loud the guitar also is in the monitor uh in primordial i've got to battle two deaf yeah. goats on either side of me who want deafening monitors with no yeah. vocals in them so of course when you, no they don't want any which of course doesn't help me out if i'm struggling in the middle and then if you, and then if you put them in the side fills take them out of side fills yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's a. But you're lucky because you're in control. Yeah, you're in control of the door. Have you ever tried in ears? I couldn't do it. For me, and I'm saying this in the, the humblest way possible. Um, for me, it feels weird. Yeah. Um, 
It's like the sound of your own voice is too loud in your head or something. Well, I, I, uh, I've never tried it. Yeah, but I don't like it. The, I tried the, it once. The idea, yeah. Yeah, okay. The idea in itself, uh, again, comes back to what we were talking about earlier, the reason why you started, you know, playing in a band. And for me, it's, it's you know, the very analog thing where there is that volume and you can hear the, the crowd and... Yeah, and yeah. I know you can put up mics in the audience so you get them, but it's not the same thing, no, you know? No, I, I just and, I just tried it once and I just found it horrible. And also, yeah, I like even where in the, you know, you put the, the ones in which are the reducers, I find hard because then you can't hear the crowd or you can't hear. So the, you don't have any earplugs at all? I do. Uh, I do mostly, unless it's a very big stage and I don't really need them. But for a small club, yeah, I do. You know, the little ones, which are the 10 dB reducers. But yeah. I've had to really try and force myself to use them because naturally it feels weird to, because your sound of your own voice is, you know, is really loud in your own head. And I don't, yeah. that puts me off or something, you know? Okay. I've always used earplugs um, because, yeah, which I'm thankful for. Today. Yeah, in uh, rehearsal, in rehearsal always, but say in a big vacuum like stage, I don't use them. Because yeah, okay. the sound, the sound is kind of diffuse. But in a small club yeah. of a few hundred, then yeah, I'll use the, I'll use them, you know. But still, a part of me wants to take one ear out to hear that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's usually loud enough, I think, yeah. on stage oh. anyway. But yeah, yeah. But in ears, it's a completely different thing, you know, where where you. And it, it feels to me, I mean, earplugs is bad enough because it kind of isolates you a bit. Yeah. To take that yet another level further, you know, that for me, it's almost like you were in a different room yeah. than, than what's going on. Uh, yeah. Even if it's, yeah, you can hear yourself perfectly and blah, blah, blah. But that's not, that's not the point. The point is not to hear yourself perfectly, yeah. you know. Um, but you have an advantage, even though you have the guitars to have a fight war with and, and everything else. And that's that you can move around. Yeah, a yeah. Lot more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can kind of, okay, here's a perfect position now when I'm going to do my power scream, you know, because yeah. I hear myself perfect over here. Yeah. Uh, my mic is in one spot. Yeah, yeah. Which means that if it fucks up there, I'm fucked, you know, I, I can't go anywhere else. And I'm not wearing a headset like Ted Nugent, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, sometimes I'll step out over the monitors in, to the front of the stage so you hear the PA, so you're in front of it. If I'm struggling on the stage, I'll go great. right yeah, out to the, to the rim of the crowd. If it's if I'm yeah. struggling with the monitors, Nats, as you're like, oh, I can hear myself from the front of house almost. You know that. Yeah, that's awesome. great. Uh, that's great. That, that's a real uh, great option to have. You could be like Raven. Guess... You'd be like Raven and have a little Britney Spears headset. You know. <laughs> Yeah, very sexy. Yeah, indeed. So, what are you gonna yeah. do? What are you gonna do now for? Uh, let's say, let's say, the remainder of the year. Do you think you'll try and sort of pick up the guitar again and try and write new songs for the songs for a new one, or what's your feeling for the next nine months or something? Um, good question. I don't think I'll. Um... I'm not going to force myself to do anything um, because uh, I don't see the point 
for me personally, uh, I will start thinking about music uh, when I'm good and ready. Uh, that's the way I feel about it now. And do you, um, you do you have you must like we do? We have a whole list of gigs this year, which are slowly, I imagine, going to be tick 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 cut, you know, cancelled. Do you have the same thing? No, we um, we were on tour when the whole thing happened. Uh, oh yeah, I, okay. yeah. I, I remember oh, of very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't meet in Dublin, but we we talked. Yeah, yeah. Texted. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and. It was so crazy because two days after the Dublin gig, we were in um, in England somewhere, uh, Sheffield, I think. And we got the news that uh, Dublin shut down every pub, everything. Yeah. That was just two days after the gig. And then obviously it happened gradually in, in uh, UK as well. Mm. Uh, so we had to cut half of the tour, uh, mainland Europe, so we did the last gig in London. Uh, we're lucky enough to get a flight home the day after. And uh, then I was sick in bed for two weeks with the shit. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, so you have yeah. had this? Yes. Okay. And so, how was it? How did it feel? Bad or? Well, obviously, but yeah. No, it was lovely. <laughs> Best time ever. That no, was pretty rough. Uh, yeah. I had fever for like 17 days or something. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And then uh, I got better, and uh, but like for five more weeks, I, I had like fever in the afternoon. Okay. Feeling okay, but in the afternoon, I just ooh, got the shivers and blah, blah, blah. But after five, six weeks, I was, you know, mm. healthy again. Okay. But anyway, uh, so we, we canceled that tour uh, or postponed it to April this year. And then uh, the promoters pretty early on in uh, December or something said, you guys need to think about this again. Yeah. So now we postponed it to April next year. Yeah, it's the same for us, I think, yeah. Yeah. And the only question mark is a Swedish festival that's been postponed until August this year. Other than that, we don't have anything. And I don't think that one's going to pan out. Yeah, we have so, like 10 or 15 in the summer, but I don't think, I think they'll all... Really? Go. Yeah, yeah. And not- I mean, you know, Hellfest and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. I guess they're all holding their breath to wait and see, but something tells me that um, they're not going to allow, you know, just people to randomly rub off each other in a field and mainland Europe no. you know no I I agree I don't want to be pes- some pessimistic about it but I mean come on mm. 30 40,000 people in a field yeah yeah rubbing, rubbing like, off each other and yeah, yeah 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 and you have like what 200 people per toilet and stuff like that yeah. that's not gonna happen and no insurance company willing to uh, insure it most likely as well, which is something people don't really think about. Insurance companies aren't going to. Uh, and also, you have the whole traveling thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the the flights are gonna just start up like before. No, also, and also we, yeah, we don't know what what the price will be either for flying. I mean, the prices were going up, you know, before this happened. Yeah, and it might be the the situation that. 
flying goes back to the way it was, you know, like in the 60s, 70s, where only very rich people could afford to fly. Yeah, well, you know, if if you're if you to believe certain, um, let's say, rumors in the political arena that this form of lockdown will move into becoming an environmental lockdown, an eco lockdown. So therefore flying will be clipped a little bit. I don't know, remains to be seen. Um, I, I think that for, for us though, if you have to quarantine on return, uh, then you can't go anywhere. Effectively you're grounded because you can't be in a band, go and play a festival, come back, quarantine, and then have a normal job, which just doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. So. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think it's just a case of sit and wait, see what happens. I don't think we really have a choice, you know. No, I mean, um, if there was a choice, people would be, you know, exercising that choice. But there is no choice, and and there's also the, I mean, what what are you going to do? Uh, arrange, um, you know, um, unsolicited gigs or whatever. Um, yeah, you could do that, but then what are you doing? You're you're being very unsolidaric. With yeah, I mean, I, I have a, I, some part of me wonders. Okay, um, next year the places you might be able to tour are South America, Russia, um, places which have a little different concerns about maybe health and safety to Western Europe. Maybe, so, uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, it, it remains to be seen. It's just we've it just it's. You just wonder: Is the live music, entertainment, arts industry able to crack open the egg to allow it to live a little bit more without all of these constraints? That's. Uh, I mean, I guess we can do nothing but wait and see. I guess. True words. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>